preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words saint francis of assisi in the past i've said that there are two problems with that quote one it's not true it's absolutely not what is prescribed by the bible uh, if you're going to preach the gospel you must preach it so that's one and two he didn't say it right there's like there's a, there's a problem kind of in, in history. It's like, this was actually nothing that we can prove he ever said. Well, today, um, I want to correct myself. And I want to add a third. Here's the third problem. It's dumb. It's, it's not logical. Um, it, it's, it's not helpful. And at, at best, it's a cop-out. Today, we're going to be moving into... Uh, the story of the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 3. We're, we've kind of come through the birth narrative in the book of Luke uh, in our Advent season, and we've, we've come into, uh, we, we went through his boyhood, and then we've come into uh, his pre-ministry phases. He's coming into ministry. We now see John the Baptist, the forerunner, preparing the way for him. And I thought about that quote this week while studying, thinking about what would, what would John the Baptist think about that quote. And I kind of made this little uh, picture in my head of John the Baptist wearing his camel hair coat, sitting on a log, some crickets, just kind of tossing them in his mouth and chomping them. And somebody saying that quote to him and him like spitting crickets out of his, his mouth, I got, I got tickled at it. I, I have to think that, that John the Baptist would not like that quote. Particularly because uh, he proclaimed uh, the good news of Christ. He proclaimed the gospel. And he had to use words. And what did it cost him? His head on a platter. Right? So no, that is the man that we're talking about as we go into the text. Here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with today. As we approach this text, as we read through. And it's this. We glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. Now... I hope that is very familiar to you, uh, because that is our mission statement for our church. That is what we want to do. Our mission statement says we glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. If you want to know about our church, this is where you start. It's the proclamation of Jesus Christ and who he is. And you're going to see a picture today of one who came proclaiming who Christ was. And so... Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3. Uh, we will go verses 1 through 22. And rather than read the whole thing through and then break it up, I'll go back through it. I'm going to kind of do it in sections, in chunks today. But I want to remind you real quick of the last thing we heard about John the Baptist. And so in Luke chapter 1, in verse 80, it says this, And the child grew... And became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. All right, so now, chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Euterea and Triconus and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And so what Luke is doing for us real quick as, as he's starting into this, he basically takes and puts a time stamp on it. He just kind of takes and puts a time stamp and says, this, this is where we are. He lets us in on the geopolitical reality uh, by naming off uh, who was in who was reigning. So in the fifth year of, of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, right, he, he lets us know. It would be an odd way kind of to speak. Can you imagine to say if we were in the, what is this, the, the third year of Joe Biden starting the fourth year or, or fifth year of, uh, what's our governor's name, Polis. And uh, I, if I knew her, I don't know, know the name of our mayor. I know our old mayor. But can you like imagine if you, if that's how you talk? Well, we're able to date this. And we're able to date it. Plus or minus a little bit around AD 29. Uh, we read there that it's, it, it, we read the word Herod and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee. Now that lets us know it's not the same Herod, right? Remember, there's a dead Herod. Uh, it was a, that was a term 
would have been a term in, 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 the, in the Roman kind of gov- governmental culture and a family name. And so um, this is not Herod, but yet Herod's sons. And he's actually got three sons who are ruling in different regions. But he doesn't just give us clues about the, kind of the geopolitical situation. He also gives us a clue about the spiritual reality of the Jewish people and uh, the Jewish religion. He says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, this is problematic. A person reading this in, in, a, in the first century would read this, and the second century would read this, and no, man, there could only be one priest. There could only be one high priest. There wasn't two high priests. So something wasn't right. And so without diving too deep into why it, was, why it was these two people, and there's even some Roman influence in it, just know he's, Luke is letting us in on the clue that the spiritual state of the church is not good. They're, they're, the, the church is not as it should be. And I say the church, I'm really talking about the Jewish people, the Jewish, the Jewish synagogue. It's not, not the Christian church, but the people who would be sharing uh, the worldview of much of his audience. He's letting us know it's not good. So, Then, continuing in verse 2, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so here's my first big idea, and it's this. Proclamation is how you change the world. Proclamation is how you change the world. I want you to think a minute about in, in, in your lifetime, what has changed about what you believe about the climate? Now, how has it changed? Right? We think, like, how, how did it change? Because what, what, we've, what we've heard, I mean, some of you are like, well, nothing, right? Nothing has changed about what I believe about the climate. Fair. Right? That's fair. But there are climate change activists, right? And it is their job. I mean, they, they believe, at the, the very truth of climate change activists believes that we are destroying the planet and the climate is going to change and the, you know, the polar caps are going to melt and there's all these different things that they believe and the ocean's going to rise and it's kind of a doomsday thought. And so as a climate change activist, we go, we must kind of reverse this, stop this, do something about this. So what does a climate change activist do? Well, this is what they do. They start to recycle, right? They make sure they recycle. They do, do a good job. They wash out their cans, and they put them in their recycling, their bottles. They make sure they do a really good job with it. They try to consume less, right? So a lot of climate change activists will you know, buy from secondhand stores or buy from stores that are conscientious about where they source their goods from, say, like maybe a, a Patagucci or something like that. And... Um, then, right, they maybe they move to solar, uh, maybe they move to electric cars, right? And so they, they, they do these things, right? And that's how they change the world, yes? No. No, they do that, right? They must do that. If you truly believe it as a climate change activist, you must do that, right? But, but just making sure that your recycling's washed out and put outside in the container, like, my recycling's out on the sidewalk too, right? And... and and man, I'll be honest, sometimes my family, particularly my boys, put stuff in the recycling that doesn't belong in the recycling, right? It's, do any of y'all's kids do that? Oliver just raised his hand. I just saw him. He was like guilty up here. Yeah, we, we do that, right? And as a dad, we like kind of know. It's like, well, the trash can's full, so I ain't saying nothing. Um, it, right? It's, it's like, no, it, they can't just quietly do these things. They must tell about it. Right? And so that's why on the news for years and years and years, what have we told, been told about the climate, right? That it's, that it's changing. And that's why people have, uh, man, they, they, they go and they speak. Their social media would say, hey, this is how we're going to let the world know. We're going to be proactive on social media. Uh, man, we, 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 go, we go because we believe in this. We put these alliances together, these coalitions, and we give money to it. And then we get those money so that they can go to our government and they can go and uh, you know they can have have people go to the government and say hey lobby we're lobbying for this we want something done change the goal the, the the coal and the gas industry let's let's 
make incentives for those to go uh, to electric or for, for solar, right? It, it's, it's by words, isn't it? And then sometimes, right, you'll see people who really believe, so much so believe in climate change that they're willing to like put their lives in danger or harm's way or maybe, I don't know, walk in a museum and throw paint on a picture, right? Here's my point. Were they, were they just using their actions? Or are they, in fact, have they changed our culture by using words? They've used words. Proclamation is how you change the world. Now, you can just take and, and, and take what I just said about climate change activism, right? And you can apply it to any agent of change, any group of people who want something to change, they seek to do it. The major change comes with words. Why? Because you know what convinces us? Do you know what resonates within, within humans, within, within people? Words do. Words change our minds. You know what? A lot of times it's not facts. It's not just saying, let me show you the facts. Facts often don't change our minds. It's not just necessarily that it's the, the truth. It's the proclamation, the persuasive use of words that changes our mind. And this is what John the Baptist came to do, right? To put a time stamp on it, and the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And what Luke is doing for us here is he is showing us that John is as a prophet of old. He's showing, you know what prophets do? Prophets preach. Prophets proclaim. Prophets use words. In the Old Testament, what would happen is that the Lord would reveal himself and his spirit would move and his, his spirit would reveal something to the prophet Isaiah that we read to open the service or the, the prophet uh, uh, Micah or Zechariah. Like when we look at the, the major and minor prophets, you know, you're going you're gonna to see them use words to persuade people. The word of God would come to them. I want to show you something else that's pretty neat in what Luke did for us as the, in his authorship here. If you go and you read, let's say, uh, the book of Jeremiah, you're going to hear uh, you're going to hear something that says very much, you know, um, in the tenth year of this person in this way, and they're going to use the same sort of time stamp in the Old Testament that Luke takes and stamps this letter for us and so john the baptist came as a prophet he came using words i think he would have been content in the wilderness but the lord called him out of the wilderness he brought him out and he brought him into the region around uh the jordan uh, a dry region and uh, it's a very arid region. And where does he bring him but to this, re this region of Jordan that has water, right? The, the, the thirsty are about to get the living water. And what does he do? But he comes proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so this is what he does. He comes as a prophet and he comes proclaiming, be baptized and repent of your sins and you will be forgiven and man this is not jesus's this this is the forerunner to jesus we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to talk about the words of the one crying in the wilderness preparing the way of the lord but th this is this is him the 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 person hearing the words be baptized and this is the reason why baptism would not have been foreign to them there were other places uh, there were other sects in which use baptism but they're taking baptism as as we actually see uh, the, the picture painted in other places in Scripture, and now they're coming to, and he's bringing baptism to what it's supposed to be. And Jesus will finish the work as he's moving it there. And so he comes pro proclaiming this, this, repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your evil doing. Turn with your hard hearts. Repent from it and be Baptized. This baptism would paint a picture of the washing away of sin as they came to life. Now, Jesus would Jesus would would further move this, and he would bring baptism to where 
it is supposed to be. He would, he would bring baptism to say baptism is you, you saying, you're, you're proclaiming something. You're proclaiming that uh, you, are, you have died to your sins. You've repented of your sins. You have been buried with Jesus in baptism, and you're being raised to walk in a new way of life. But if we, we fast forward and we go to the, the, the book of Acts, and remember, who wrote, who wrote the, the book of Acts, right? Luke, same person. And what do we see early on in the book of Acts? Repent and be baptized, right? It's the, it's, it's the same message that's being proclaimed, repent and be baptized. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. And so, verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one carrying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. Here's the next idea I want to show you. Is that you are not a prophet unless what you proclaim is true. Do you know what type of, do you know what you are if what you proclaim is not true? A false prophet, right? A, a, a false teacher. And, and, and I want to I read this, and I want to show you this, because this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. We read it. But I, I would just remind you in this moment, as, as, as here John the Baptist is, is showing up as the prophet, that all those prophecies in the Old Testament, all those prophecies... Uh, nearly 300 prophecies about the birth of Jesus, right? They came true. If we look at the Old Testament, we read the Old Testament, we see that those men who stood up and, and they proclaimed, they said with their mouths, this is going to happen, it eventually happened. And so here becomes the test, right? What, when, when John the Baptist you know, prophesies, when he makes these things, when he proclaims this, does it come true? The next iteration of this is, is Jesus, right? Is Jesus who he said he was? Are the things that Jesus said he was going to do, are they true? Are they going to become true? And so, you're not a prophet unless you proclaim what is true. And here is this voice of the one crying in the wilderness. He's preparing the way of the Lord. He's going before Jesus. He's the forerunner. And he's going, and he's, he's, he's basically, every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. But he's going through, and he's taking down these barriers. He's going through. He's, he's the forerunner to Christ. He's, he's starting the path. He's making the way forward. And I would just tell you, just as what Isaiah said was true that Luke quotes here, so were the words that are coming of John the Baptist. More than that, so are the words of Jesus. Verse 7. He said, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. He's real seeker sensitive. I don't know if you figured that out yet. But like he's real, like real careful with people. Wants to be, make sure that all the fragile people feel hurt. He says, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Is that false prophets make false converts. False prophets make false converts. Now I've already, I've already mentioned that in that timestamp, Luke is showing us, and Annas and Caiaphas, he's showing us, okay, there's problems. There's problems. And the problems don't stop, stop at the top. No, they flow down from the top, right? And so all 
throughout the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, there were problems. There were problems in what they believed. They had wrong belief. They believed wrong doctrine. What they believed wasn't true because they had been taught something that wasn't true. So what does John begin to do? He calls them out. He says, you brood of vipers. Now, uh, a brood of viper, a viper wasn't uh, speaking of a um, specific snake. Right? The, the, word, the words that are used there in Greek, it's not talking about a specific snake. It's talking about essentially every poisonous snake uh, in, in, uh, in and around their area, right? In and around uh, Jerusalem, around, around Judea, like uh, it's, a, it's a poisonous snake. And there's illusion here. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis when the serpent, the, the snake, and, and Satan gave, gave to them, warned them, hey, this is the tree and he doesn't want you to eat it. He lied and here's the lie. And so here, here comes, right? So here, here they are. And he, he calls them out to say, you say one thing, but your actions don't match it. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Here's what was happening. They're, they're, they're basically, by, by their genealogy, by their birth order, saying, this is enough. It's, a, it's enough that Abraham is our birth father while not believing and not acting on their beliefs, those of the Old Testament. So he's calling them out and he's given a grave warning. God is able to raise up even from the stones followers he's 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 even he's able to raise up children of abraham he is the the miracle worker the miracle maker he can do this right he doesn't need you and what you're doing that is wrong he doesn't just have to accept it no rather he can do what he needs to this is what god that does even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so, man, what, what, is he, what is he saying here, right? He's saying we've had this tree that's grown up and its roots have been poisoned. Therefore, those who would know how to take care of an orchard, this would make sense to them. Uh, we're going to chop down that tree and we're going to burn it so it doesn't spread to others. But more than that, he's saying those who do not, uh, who, who reject the truth, who, who reject God's word, are going to be cut down and thrown in the fire. And so here is the illusion of hell. And so John the Baptist isn't scared to speak of hell. Who, who in the Bible speaks about hell the most? Jesus. Jesus speaks about hell the most. Jesus over and over in the scriptures talks about heaven. There's a reality that Jesus preaches. That there is life after death. In life after death, there are two options. There is heaven and there is hell. Now, how often do we hear about heaven and hell in church in 2023? Right? Um, I would just tell you there will be, I don't know, let's just say, I don't know how many pulpits there are in America this morning preaching, I would dare say that there will be a very high percentage of them that don't use the word hell. Don't talk about fire, they don't even allude to it. That soften it down so we don't even have to think about it, right? So we don't have to think about, there's this reality that when we die, if you do not know Christ, you have to go to heaven or hell. Not only that, what, what sends somebody to hell? There's sin, right? And so you know what else we avoid? Often from the pulpit, sin is avoided. And so you won't even hear the word of sin. You won't hear the fact that no one is righteous, not even one. So how can I convince somebody to be saved and not come to know Christ if they don't understand what they're being saved from? How can I get somebody to repent 
of their sin and turn to Jesus if I can't say that they're sinful? If I would just use the words to say, oh, well, they're, they're broken or they need help. Or, but can, can I convince you? Do you understand the weight of it? And so I, I want to use just a, a simple illustration. Because um, I think we hear him say, you brood of vipers. And we're like, man, he was, he was rude. John the Baptist was rude. You know what? John the Baptist probably was rude. How many people have you ever, like, camel hair wearing, cricket-eating folks you hadn't met that you didn't think, oh, that person's a little strange, kind of rude? He probably was. Listen, you cannot be fully aware of the consequences of your sin if you never hear about hell, and you cannot be fully repentant if you don't understand the depth of your depravity. Here's the example that I want to use. Let's say there's a husband. And the husband cheats on the wife. He has an extramarital affair, right? He cheats on her. And the Bible clearly says that that is adultery and that is, that is sinful, that is wrong, right? We should, you should not have an affair. And let's say in the reconciliation of that husband and wife, that husband realizes he made a mistake. And he never wants to do that again. And he goes to his wife, and he says to her, hey, forgive me. And she says to him, why would I forgive you? You're a dirty, rotten cheater. Now, if that husband really wants reconciliation, would he be offended that she called him a dirty, rotten cheater? Would he go, wait a second now, you've called me dirty, rotten cheater. And I'm just a cheater. Wouldn't, would he, right? So if she says, you dirty, rotten cheater, and he's cheated on his wife, and he wants to be reconciled to her and right with her, what would he say? You're right. I am a dirty, rotten cheater. And I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve you to forgive me. I don't deserve it at all, but I'm begging you, please take me back, right? This, this is the picture that I want you to see. When, when, when he looks at them and he says, you brood of vipers, those who want to know Christ, those who want to be saved will go, yeah, you're right, I am. I'm a dirty, rotten viper. I am a sinner. I understand the weight of my sin, and I need to repent of it. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to turn from it. And so I want you to see this. Those who proclaim the gospel will proclaim a message of repentance. It's not just believe the gospel, it's turn from your sin and believe the gospel. Now, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to add to this, I'm going to keep further explaining this. Verse 10, and the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Here's the big truth. True repentance means our actions will match what we proclaim. True repentance means our actions will match what we proclaim. Or, to phrase it another way, what God works in your heart works out. You've heard me say that a thousand times. That, that good trees will, in fact, produce good Fruit. And so he's saying, go and produce good fruit. True repentance means our actions will match what we proclaim. And so this is how, this is how salvation works. Faith and repentance go hand in hand. One doesn't come before the other. We often think it's like, okay, we got to repent first and then we placed our faith. 
No, it's, it's that these two things happen simultaneously, that when we believe, we believe who Jesus is, we also believe we don't want that anymore. We, we go, okay, we don't want the idols of the world, we want Jesus. So we're turning, it's this simultaneous thing. In repentance, we're, we're, we're headed one direction, we're chasing false idols, and we turn from the false idols, and we go to the one true God. That is, that is Jesus. Those things are happening simultaneously. It's not, and we so often convince ourselves this, that we must clean ourselves up and then come to God. You know, I, I'll occasionally be sharing the gospel, meet somebody on the street, have a conversation, and they're like, yeah, I, just need to, I know I need to go to church, and I just need to clean myself up before I go to church. And what we know is, man, if we needed to clean ourselves up before we came to church, this place would be empty. Right? You for sure wouldn't have a pastor. <laughs> Would you feel good about preaching cleaned up today? Me neither. All right. Uh, no, uh-uh. Right? You wouldn't, it, it, we, it's not how it works. It's not, hey, do well, do works, do these things, and earn favor with God. It's not it. It's believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. It is, it is, it is repent. It is turn and follow that is the beauty of the gospel. It's not based on our merit, but it's based on what the Lord does. But what the Lord does in our hearts, when we uh, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised his sons from the dead, he, he saves us. And what we learned in Romans chapter 6 last year, that I'm a new creation in Christ. I, the old me has passed away. The new one has come. I'm a new creation in Christ. Um, uh, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. What God works in our hearts works out. True repentance means our actions will match what we proclaim. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. So they've heard him preach. And, and we actually can see more in, in the other Gospels. We see more in Matthew. There's like, Luke is actually fairly short with his narrative of what John does. But what we know is that he's, he's proclaiming as he's prophesying, as he's preaching. People are going, man, this is different than what's happen, happening at the temple in Jerusalem. Could he be? Could he be the Savior? John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And here's the next big truth is this. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. This is what he just said of Jesus. This, this one is coming and he is Lord he is ruler, he is king of kings and lord of lords. The one who is coming is God and I am not worthy to untie the strap on his sandals. Man, it would have been so customary for them in that time. That when you would enter a home, like let's say, let's say a wealthy person enters a home and that wealthy per per person has slaves or indentured servants. Um, man, you got to think, all dusty roads, all dirty, all muddy. They would have wore sandals, right, a tunic. They go in, and the first thing they have to do when you enter that house is to take off your shoes and wash your feet. And this is the servant's job to do that. The servant's job is to untie the master's sandals and to clean their legs and their feet. Now, it, this will make sense to you in knowing, remember that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, right? It's showing, it's him showing, I came not to serve, but to serve. The, the, the foot washing that Jesus does is, I am, I'm serving you. 
man, it, it, it's so much so that, that there, there, there's New Testament writings, or I'm sorry, early church writings about the New Testament where early, early church figures would say, hey, um, man, we're going to serve each other all the way to the point of, but not to the point of, untying your sandals. I will do whatever I can for you as long as I'm not a slave to you. And here's what John the Baptist is saying. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I'm not even worthy to be his servant. That's why I'm proclaiming him. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ at all. I'm no savior. I'm not perfect. I, you know, I, I'm also a bloody viper. right? I, I, I'm a wretch. He's the one whose sandals I am uh, worthy to untie. I'm not proclaiming me. I'm proclaiming him. In other places in scripture it said in John he must increase and I must decrease John the Baptist didn't come in his proclamation proclaiming himself but he came proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord it's what we must do we must proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Do you know why we like that St. Francis quote? Always preach the gospel and when necessary use words. Do you know why we like it? Because it's a cop out. Because we're scared to proclaim the gospel. We're scared proclaim the gospel. Do you know why we're scared to proclaim the gospel? There's multiple reasons. Here's the first. Is that we are scared that our hypocrisy will be shown. That our hypocrisy will show through. If we go back up to that passage and we look at those people who, whose actions don't, don't necessarily match their lives, we're scared that the world is going to see that we're a fraud. Well, the world will see that you're a fraud if you're claiming to be righteous and holy. But when you come in saying, this is the good news of the gospel, that God saves sinners like me. That I am a wretch and this is who God saved. I want you to know something. It is worth it to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can, you can sit here and go, I know I'm not, but I know who he is. I know I'm not, but I know God is. Imagine if you go back to kind of my, my, my climate change activist. I, I, I'm not, if you're a climate change activist, thank you for your activism. I, I'm not trying to make light of you or make, make, make fun of you. I just, it was just an easy, easy example, I think, that communicates in our, in our culture. And man, I, I think the Bible teaches that we should take care of the planet. We should take care of the earth. Um, he gave it to us to steward, right? We see that in Genesis chapter 3. We should be good stewards of the earth. So don't hear me saying anything else, right? But what I, what I am saying is that every climate change activist is a hypocrite. They have no choice, right? You have no, no, no choice because you still have a carbon footprint, right? The only way to eliminate your carbon footprint is to eliminate yourself. And we would know that we can't do that. Right, And so they have to realize that, hey, if I'm going to say something, I have to be okay with being called out on my hypocrisy. And I have to say, but this is the bigger cause, and this is why I'm doing it, and we must do something. It costs too much to do nothing. That would be true of Christians, right? We're going to, okay, our, our, our getting called out on our hypocrisy, the fact that, yeah, but, you know, but I saw you speak harshly to your wife, or I saw you scold your kids, or I saw you lose it, or oh, I, I saw that beer in your shopping cart, or whatever stupid thing that, that, that somebody would say against you, right? I, you know, what, I've seen you drive. You get angry when you drive. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite. It's worth it. Because I can say, I know I am. I am a wretch. You can make an accusation of me and I can look at you and say, oh, you didn't go far enough. You didn't, if you really knew who I was, you would say, you would say far worse things. But let me tell you who Jesus is. And Jesus is 
perfect. Jesus is holy. Jesus, Jesus did not have a single bad motive. Jesus was pure. And when what Jesus said, he did. He was who he said he was. Jesus was Lord. Verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. That Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked him up, uh, locked John up in prison. And so, here's my next big truth that I want to show you. So the, the first reason that we might not share the gospel being our own hypocrisy. The second reason is because of this. Proclaiming Jesus Christ comes with a cost. It will cost you to proclaim Jesus. Now, what, what did, he, what, what did Herod, Herod get mad at? Herod got mad because John the Baptist looked at him and called him an adulterer and said, you have committed adultery with your brother's wife. You have taken your brother's wife as your own. And so what did he preach? But biblical sexuality and biblical sexuality landed him in prison. Church history is absolutely full of examples that proclaiming Jesus Christ comes with a cost. And I, I just I know this, that I can stand here and preach this sermon today in here, and I will enjoy a good lunch, and I'll teach Discipleship 101 at 4 o'clock this afternoon, and, and I'll go home and finish watching a football game, and I'll be fine. I'm not going to jail today. But there are places where this sermon, if this sermon were, were preached in the world today, that the pastor would probably have not made it this far before having been beaten and dragged out. And I will tell you that, that I don't know if that day will ever come in America. I would assume that it will. But, but all you have to do is like look to the media. Look to what happened this week. Look to a Tony Dungy this week who stood up and, and, and made, a, made a tweet, pulled a tweet down. At, uh, it, was, it was something to do with uh, LGBTQ stuff that, that was seen as, as, as bigotry. But, boy, if he's a bigot, I don't know what you call me. And then... Then he goes to the, and, and speaks at the, the March for Life thing this, this, this past Friday, right? And, and there's like, they are wanting to crucify him. They're calling for his job. Proclaiming Jesus Christ comes with a cost. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, my beloved son, with whom, with you, I am well pleased. And here's the next big truth. Proclaiming Jesus is worth it because he is God's son. This moment that we have with John the Baptist. And man, John the Baptist knew, man, I'm not, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. How is he coming for me for baptism? But in in, in Jesus, knowing what was happening in the start of his ministry, there was this moment there where a proclamation came from heaven as the heavens opened and the dove descended on him that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is Jesus' son. And so I would, I would tell you this today, church, that, that as we seek to fulfill our mission, to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ, that it is worth it, that it is worth every bit of it. Whatever it costs us to be faithful, to be obedient, to be, de de be devout, it is worth it. I believe wholeheartedly that it is worth it to proclaim Jesus, even if it costs me my life. I believe it. And so, church, we must proclaim in word. We must. It takes words to preach the gospel. So we must share the good news of Jesus with our children and with our neighbors and with our friends and our co-workers, our acquaintances, 
We must proclaim the gospel. We must go to the very ends of the earth, not just to, to proclaim it in our Jerusalem, but we must, we must go outside of our Jerusalem to our Judea and our Samaria, and we must go and we must proclaim the gospel with words. We must plant gospel-preaching churches and to put families into communities that don't have a gospel-preaching presence to be there. Man, the end of March, we're going to send out our families uh, that are going to Durango. We're going to have a commissioning service. What are we commissioning them to? To proclaim the gospel. We're not commissioning them to go and, and, and to, to start businesses and, hey, does Durango have a Chick-fil-A? You're not, not commissioned. Go put a Chick-fil-A in Durango. Christian chicken make the world better, right? No, we're saying we're go put a church that proclaims the gospel because the gospel that changes the world, it changes lives. And all of a sudden, the realization of the Durango team's sacrifice to church planting goes up, realizing they don't have a Chick-fil-A. We must play, pro proclaim it in word. We must proclaim it in action. There's, there's, not, there's not an excuse from action that what God works in our heart works out, that we're cre new creation in Christ, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And so, yes, it is in word. It is also in action. And so here's the better quote. Always proclaim the gospel with your words and make your actions meet it. In baptism... Here we have a passage about baptism, and yet I've spoke very little talking about baptism. I've kind of saved it for the end. The very first proclamation of our faith in Christ as believers is baptism. We go to the early books of Acts, and what do they say? Repent and be baptized. Baptism is the ordinance of the church that says, I believe in Christ. You are proclaiming something with your baptism. And what you're saying is, I have followed Christ. I have been, I'm dead to Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm being put in that tomb that is in the water, and I'm being raised a new creation in Christ. Baptism is a proclamation that you are following Christ. And so today, if in the past months, I would say, or in the past years, that if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you've believed in your heart, that God is who he says he is. That he, God raised his son from the dead. If you believe the good news of the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you are answering the call to follow him with your life. You're saying, I am believing Jesus and I'm following Jesus. I'm trusting in him for salvation. The next, the next action is baptism. Baptism has a, has a, a, a mode it has a timing, right? We, it's, it's, we don't, that's why we don't sprinkle. No, we use a literal immersion, the same thing that John used. It doesn't come uh, before faith. Some people, some people had a meaningless baptism. You just got wet, very much like the, the cults and the sects of that time. Baptism comes after you've believed. So you believe, you confess, and you believe. Some of you would, it would have, have been in a place where Man, with very good intentions as your heart, as a child, you were baptized to get a get out get out of hell free card, but you weren't saved. And so maybe that's you that you're going. You know what? I need to get my baptism in order. And maybe some of you have very well intentioned parents that that in um, a, a denomination in a in a belief, a belief group of Christianity sprinkled you as a baby. But man, that that that's not it either. It's clear in the scriptures that. Our proclamation is, is we're proclaiming that Christ died for us and we believe and we're identifying and following him in Christ. So I would invite you in baptism. We're having a baptism next Sunday morning at our four-year anniversary. It's going to be at the beginning of the second service. I think I know of five people right now who are being baptized. If you need to, if you believed in the Lord Jesus, follow him in baptism. And now I'm going to invite you right now to proclaim the Lord's death in one more way. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. 
And giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now listen to verse 6. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so today, as the church gathered, we're going to make a proclamation that we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, who shed his blood, whose body was broken, and that God raised him from, to life on the third day. But this is conditional. This is for the believer. This is, the, this is for the person who's, who's following Jesus, who's been baptized, who isn't living in sin, who isn't unwilling to repent of sin. Verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on his self. So I'm going to ask our guys to come back and lead us in worship in this moment. And I'm going to ask that, that you, you do business with God. You do exactly what he said to do. And that you examine yourself. Have you believed the gospel? Have you come forward? Have you identified yourself with him in baptism? Are you living in unrepentant sin? If so, confess that sin, repent of that sin, turn from that sin today and be obedient to Jesus. This is how we're going to do it. Just We're going to come up as we start singing, as you pray, as you feel led by the Spirit and you're ready, as you've, you've repented, come up, grab a cup. I want you to go back to your seat and then go ahead and work the top open. First, peel out the wafer. Put that wafer between your teeth and crush it. Think about Jesus' body on the cross. And go ahead and, and get that top pill back and wait as we anticipate together sharing in the Lord's cup. So go ahead and stand. So, Father, we, we come to you today, Lord, thankful for who you are and what you've done. That you shed your blood on the cross for our sins. That you died for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. May we be obedient in proclaiming it to the very ends of the earth all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.